0: Is it on already? Oh, good. Well, the Crown family has been uh, to uh, one previous family camp in its entirety. Oh, man, what year would that have been? Well, Timothy was six months old. I remember vividly because he had bronchitis and we were tenting and looking for a mass unit and, uh, and Jane had bronchitis. And that means that Dad, Dave, would walk Timothy, who was coughing all night long, out around the campgrounds. This was, where, what was it called? Canyon Meadows, I believe? Canyon Meadows. Canyon Meadows. So that Jane could get some sleep and some semblance of rest so that we could recover. And, uh, and, and such were our, even as it were, fond recollections of our only family camp. Uh, shortly thereafter, you know what happened in our lives and ministry? A funny little thing happened called... Team Baja, which has pretty much changed uh, the ministry and our lives in, in, uh, in so many wonderful and rich and rewarding way, ways uh, for good, and we 'll see for how long uh, Team Baja is about right around the corner next week. We look forward to receiving thirty about twenty eight young people from all over the United States to come down and minister with us uh, through this ministry. Bill adds it uh, very dutifully and and faithfully was writing me over the last six months, asking me to send information, uh, not just the outlines and things like that, so you could have them prepared and duplicated before you this evening, but also information about myself for the bio. I kept on getting these uh, emails, Dave, you've got to get us information about the bio. We don't have anything to put in about you uh, for your bio. And I kept on thinking to myself, what could I possibly write that he would reproduce? so that they would know something about me that they don't already know. What, what, I mean, this is family camp, for goodness sakes. Well, if, if they know anyone, they certainly know Dave Crumb. Backwards and forwards, uh, for better or for worse. And I finally got around to sending some things to him, and uh, thank you, Bill, for all the work you did. But I, I realized uh, also, Al, via email, You know, the, one of the fun things about our children getting involved in email is we get to uh, you know, take a look-see every once in a while, and get all kinds of new material for jokes, and the like. There's really some pretty good stuff. Now, senior hires, I promise that this will not be a joke session. That's my camp director motif and hat. That I wear that only during senior high camp, not at family camp. But I couldn't resist because I found something out really about myself via email jokes, which I can, uh, well, it's too late to put it in the bio, but I think you'll get a kick out of this. This came, uh, I think, through Faith Church of Calvary, and uh, they said it. Timothy's on their mailing list, and, and he brought this up to me one time. It's, the subject title reads, You Know You're a Redneck If. And then it had about 300 uh, scenarios where you could find out you're a redneck if. Some of them, which were really quite witty and funny. Some of them, which were kind of dull and boring. Some of them, which, of course, were off color and not for repeating. But as I was looking through these, I was thinking, you know, maybe some of these are really funny and laughing, and then, my laughter turned to some degree of dismay and then even remorse as I realized, what? That I'm a redneck. <laughs> so I share these with you this evening for the, bio, uh, the, the uh, biography, biographical material for your missionary, the Baja, Dave Crumb. Notice, not Dave and Jane, or Dave uh, and the Crumbs, just, just David Crumb. You know you are a redneck if... You can entertain yourself for more than one hour with a fly swatter. (laughs) You know you're a redneck if your property has been mistaken for a recycling center. You know you're a redneck if you burn your yard rather than mow it. You know you're a redneck if if you think fast food is hitting a dog at 65 miles an hour. Actually, in the email it said deer, but I changed it to dog for obvious reasons. You know you're a redneck if your home has more miles on it than your car. You know you're a redneck uh, if you have a home that's mobile and four cars in the driveway that aren't. (laughs) You can see why I started to cry after I read this for a while. And lastly... You know you're a redneck if in order to get home you must turn off pavement onto a dirt road. (laughs) So, here I stand before you this evening and this week. Dave Crum, missionary to the Baja, redneck. So be it. If ever a section of God's word has been appropriate, uh, appropriate out of the immediate context, of course it was appropriate for the Apostle Paul but appropriate as God's word is eternally appropriate for his church, uh, for a missionary in reflection of the church that sends him, uh, then tonight would be that night. And I read from Philippians, a well-known section, just three verses. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day. Until now, and then for all of us, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It has been a sheer privilege of singular joy and pleasure for me to represent the of Southern California of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church for some 18 years now, In the ministry to Baja, and most specifically the great and vast city of Tijuana. And to do so, really, as one who represents the body of churches. We have come a long way together, have we not? We have worked together. We have witnessed together, and we will be speaking of that more specifically this week. We have worshipped together. We have laughed together. We have cried together. We've beseeched our Lord together in prayer. And we've rejoiced at the great things that the Lord has done. And I guess in a sense tonight is about payback time. (laughs) You've done so many things. I thank God for all my remembrances of you, your partnership in the ministry, so many uh, events, Team Baja, Weekend Witness, be what it might on that side of the border. Now it's time when I come back, uh, in the ministry of the word on this side of the border to family camp. By the way, beware of Orthodox Presbyterian Church picnics. I say that especially to the teaching elders in their midst. Beware of OPC picnics. Especially if you see two uh, men who are elders, and it should dawn on you, Dave Crumb, that they're on the same committee together. And when they say, two years ago, Alan Pontier and Len Sanchez I'm referring to, Dave, we'd like to speak to you. Come on over here for a minute. Uh, in, in this scenario something should have been warning me instead of saying oh, yes I'll be come, come right over I'll be right back I'm going back to the refreshment table or something I, I'm, that's an in joke there, there, therein was the context the historical context of my being invited to be the speaker this week but uh, I, I, I jest uh, on the contrary again this is this is a, a privilege for me and we uh, know that because God's word is his promise and his truth, by which he sanctifies us, his people, to his great glory and his cause for the nations, that we know that we can look to his word and be changed by his word and rejoice together for all that he will do in and for us, his covenant people. We're going to be looking this uh, week at the, the theme of personal evangelism or corporate evangelism. Therefore, the title of your series. Now, I realize that for about 80% of you, that was so, whatever, uh, perhaps not well done or, or esoteric that you didn't get the gist of it and I, I don't blame you for that. Putting the C back in the Great Commission, what I meant by that, of course, this exposes the fact that my spelling in English isn't what it used to be and frankly, it wasn't all that much before I left the United States. Now, in my defense, you don't have the double M's and the double T's and the, you know, the double consonants back to back in the Spanish language. So if I ever knew them to begin with, I have forgotten them completely in learning and uh, trying to some degree master a second language to preach the gospel. But actually what happens, of course, putting the C back in the Great Commission, what I was getting at, alluding to, is if you take the C out of the word commission, you have the word omission, of course, spelled differently. Uh, without the the two M's in commission, the one M in omission, but you get the point. Uh, Putting the C back in the Great Commission, I'm going to be starting tomorrow uh, and make make allusion to the fact that the Reformed faith in particular has a reputation, which I hope is ill-deserved, I hope it's unearned, but nevertheless we do have something of a reputation for being some of the poorest. In sharing our faith and personal evangelism and making the message of the glory of God and the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ known. Whether or not that is rightly deserved or earned, I say that we need to do our best to distance ourselves from such a reputation. And to the degree that it is true, we need to humbly come back to the Lord of the Word and the Word of God this week and commit ourselves anew to this task which the risen and glorified Lord Jesus Christ has given to his church to make his name known among the nations. We're going to be looking at the Great Commissions in the New Testament, not the Great Commission. That's usually associated with the 28th chapter of Matthew. But really, as we will see, as you look through the New Testament, there are kind of a manifold set of commissions, Christ commissioning his church. And from different angles and different perspectives, uh, we really see when we put them together the the fact that that they are radically different. And when you look at God's word and come to such a conclusion, what you would do first and foremost is say, well then, there's there's, uh, different facets of uh, Christ's commission to his church that he would have us learn from his word. And let's look at them individually and then put them all together and see what we will do. And we'll be doing that in the second part of our week together. Uh, This morning, this, this evening, I'd like to speak to you about a verse from God's Word, which I'm convinced is the one which more than any other speaks to the church at large. The one which more than any other is uh, irrefutable in that it is, it is a charge to the church general. No question about the special offices and the special works which are committed to the officers of those offices of the church. But this is for the church at large, the church international, the church made up of young and old, men and women. And you find that text, and I invite you to open, in the third chapter of 1 Peter. Turning your Bibles to the third chapter of 1 Peter. And while we'll be looking especially at the fifteenth verse of 1 Peter chapter 3, I'll read verses 13 to 17 for the context. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. And again, we'll focus our attention on the 15th verse. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord in prayer this evening. Our Father and our God, we come this evening with deep joy in our hearts for this special week that you give to us where we can worship you, Lord, where we can worship you as an extended family. I, Lord, together with my wife and children, thank you for your promises to us, your goodness to us over the years. The fact that we have seen in our lifetime such great fulfillment of that promise that if we would leave father and mother, sister and brother for your sake, we would receive in this life even a hundredfold. And how we can enjoy uh, this week our family, people with whom we have worked, people with whom our children uh, have grown, people who have shared their hearts and their homes to us, and who have also been in our home and in our hearts over the years. Lord, this is for your glory and for your honor and for your praise. But you have blessed us as a people, not that we would keep this blessing within, but you have blessed us that we would be a blessing to the nations. Father, we pray that through the study of your word this week, each of us and also all of us together corporately would love you, more intimately, that you would be dear to us, Lord, and the power of the gospel would be made new to us afresh, that we could be confident as we bring the truth of Scripture before a world which is lost, which is dead, Lord, and dying. We see the evidence all around us. We see the hopelessness, the despair, the tears, the heartbreak, the horror. And, Lord, it's even coming to our doorstep, Father, make us a people who are committed to the glories of the kingdom of Christ Jesus and committed to the knowledge of the fact that Christ saves sinners, sinners such as us. Help us not just to sing about that song that will be our theme in glory and not just to sing that we love to tell that story, but to practice telling it That it become our daily routine. That it become habitual. And use the meditations from your word throughout this week to that end, we ask. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This evening's scripture verse tells us that we need to always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks us to give. A reason for the hope that we have. The Christian is to be prepared. That means that he and she is to be ready and is is to be willing to share the reason for our hope. We see in this verse, the 15th verse, there's really three parts to it and you have that there before you in your outlines, uh, in your booklets. There's a precondition to the answer that we are to tell, the answer that we are to be prepared. In order for us to give an answer, people have to ask the question. Isn't that right? Until they do ask that question, we need not even be prepared. There's a precondition in this verse, the 15th, for the answer that we would give, and it is this: "In your hearts, set apart Christ Jesus as Lord." Or in other versions, sanctify, make holy, sanctify. Set apart Christ Jesus as Lord." Peter teaches us that the precondition of presenting a defense for the faith is that we also sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts. Now, what does this mean? What does it mean to make God holy, to make the Lord Jesus Christ holy in our hearts? It doesn't mean make him holy in the sense of making him what he is not. For God is alone, perfectly holy. He alone, he and none other is holy. And whatever our opinion might be of him, what other others' opinion might be of him, God is the thrice holy God. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. And those who know him, fall on their face before Him. We don't make Him holy in that sense. God is and always will be holy. The meaning, therefore, must be that we should regard Him as holy in our knowledge of Him and love Him, uh, respond to Him as holy in our love for Him, our relationship to Him, our reverence of Him. And how do we respond? How is it that we're to respond? If we're to sanctify the Lord in our hearts, Well, we're to fight the good fight. Now, how many of you, quick show of hands, how many of you were here last year? A clear majority. Uh, I wasn't able to be here last year, but I heard wonderful things, first from my sons, Timothy and Michael, who were here, and then from uh, several, many of you, of the teaching of Reverend Bill Shishko. And you remember the topic of his teaching last year? What was it? Exactly this Fighting the Good Fight. Fighting the good fight. I wish, that uh, at times I wish, that our minds, our brains were kind of like computer programs. Uh, The more adept I get at them, thank you Bill for your help, the better I get. But you know, one of the things you can do with computers is you can just click on and you can drag. Of course, as a matter of fact, the first time I ever did that, I clicked something and I didn't want to. I didn't even know I was dragging it. And I lost it for about two weeks until someone came down and found it for me. So you have to be careful until you get adept with a mouse. But one of the things you can do is you can just find a spot here and then you go find another file and you click on, you drag it in, you can insert an entire uh, a ream of material, can you not? And if we could, I wish that we would be able to click and drag and have the entire lecture, series of lectures of last year and insert it at this point. Because, because you would have uh, such a wealth of, of, of biblical text then to be able to remember how it is that we fight the good fight. But it's critical for our purposes here tonight that if you're going to have someone ask you the question, tell me about the hope that you have, you need to sanctify the Lord Christ in your hearts. You need to fight the good fight. And quickly what this means is that you need to fight the fight against life, the Christian life, the warriors, the warfare, against the three enemies in our Christian life. Against Satan, against the world, and against the self, the flesh our tendency to fall back into sinful patterns, sinful ways of thinking. First of all, against Satan. And uh, I have a different copy here, so if I don't fill in the blanks, and you have blanks, and I go over it, please catch me at any time between the talks, and I'll (coughs) make sure to fill in the blanks as I had originally uh, intended there. But my point down there is this. Contrary to the feelings that sometimes rise up in our hearts, uh, feelings of, Ingratitude, impatience, frustration, anger, hostility. Contrary to all those human emotions which we know are not in accordance with the fruit of the Spirit that we read about in the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. Contrary to those feelings, the feelings of complaining or grumbling as if God were severe or harsh, Satan would have you believe God is severe. But you know in your heart of hearts, in the new heart that he has given unto you, that he is not and you need to fight that fight in prayer and in meditation on God's word and remind yourself of the fact that God is faithful, he is true, he is steadfast in all of his dealings with you. If you are having feelings of rebellion, you need to remember that the Christian is called to follow the Lord and his call wherever he would lead. As long as we are going forward, we are following him faithfully. If Satan would tempt you that God's ways are unfounded or are unjust, you must remind yourself from God's word and in prayer before the throne of grace that he is altogether fair and just and faithful. So you need to fight the good fight against Satan who would deceive you, who would trick you, uh, and, and who would have you react uh, according, to the, according to the old nature. You must fight the fight against the world. Now, the world does not know anything about sanctifying the Lord Jesus Christ in his hearts, of course. Not even the name is a holy name for the world. You know this. Um, You know this in your work environment. You know this in school or in the streets. They will use the name which is above every other name for any purpose, except that his name be hallowed, that his name be holy. And we must fight the fight against the world which does not know the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name. We must desire that his name be regarded as holy throughout the ends of the earth. And we must remember that it's not okay to blaspheme against our great God by taking his name casually to our lips. This is done throughout the cultures and it saddens me and it breaks my heart. We were at a baseball game the other day, my sons, my boys and I, the baseball fans that we are, we're big Padres fans and I think there will be more than one baseball illustration working its way, whether or not it has anything to do with the text at all, finding its way into the uh, talks in the next five days. I've never been able to successfully keep them out. But we were at a Padres game and we got there early. Of course, if you're a true baseball fan, you get there before batting practice and you leave After the 27th out. It does not matter if your team is in last place and they are losing by double digits. And we're true baseball fans. And we got there early and we stayed late. But um, when we got there early, we saw some of the signs uh, that went up. Now, for those of you who are from Los Angeles, or for those of you who are not baseball fans, could it be? Uh, You have to know something. I've got to back this up a little bit. There's a baseball player in San Diego who plays for the San Diego Padres. That's the professional team of San Diego, okay? And his name... Oh, okay, you do know that. Okay, good, good. His name... Well, then you'll laugh when I give you his name. His name is Tony Gwynn. His name... You see, we even know his cheer. His number is 19. And his ability with a bat defies description. I happened to be at the first professional game where Tony Gwynn played. He, call, he was called up from the AAA team, Padres team, and I, he wasn't there long. And, uh, and, and I just happened to be there at that time. And I said to myself back then, this guy can hit. Tony ba- Gwynn is the quintessential uh, baseball player with a bat. As a matter of fact, in San Diego they call him Batman. That's his nickname. Well. As great a baseball player as he is, he is only a baseball player. And as we were looking at the signs and the placards that were going up in the San Diego Stadium, uh, it's called Qualcomm now. One of them said, "Gwyn is God." My son turned to me and he said, "That's not right, is it, Dad?" I said, "No, son. It's not right. Gwyn is not God." The Lord God alone is to be worshipped. The Lord God alone is to be served. His name is to be hallowed throughout the earth. But our culture, our cultures, I'm on both sides here, are so quick to take the name of our Lord in vain. How often do we hear in the media, on television or the radio, he has, she has, he has more money than God. It's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be cute. It's not. This past week, an advertisement on the San Diego radio station, K-O-G-O, which carries in the morning the um, talk show, I can't remember his name, Rush Limbaugh radio talk show. And I'm not saying that Rush Limbaugh is associated with, with his advertisement, uh, uh, whether he is or whether, he, I, I do not know, I trust he's not. But for the San Diego station, as I was driving to my horror, Uh, I I heard this advertisement. Hello? Is this God? And then supposedly the voice of God. Yes, this is God. You woke me up. What's the matter? Oh, well, yeah, God, I've been meaning to ask you something. Is it true about Rush Limbaugh? Uh, Well, is is what true about Rush Limbaugh? Well, he keeps on saying he's got all all this talent. Talent on loan from God. Is it true? And you have this blasphemous Dialogue going on between this guy ostensibly calling on the phone to get information from a God who does not know all things but has to be taught, has to learn, has to wake up. Our culture is flooded by images and illustrations and even little um, advertisement, little blurbs, presenting a God which is not the God, the maker of the heavens and the earth. Is not the God of Scripture. And we need to fight the fight against the misuse of His name as we sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts. Against Satan, against the world, and against the flesh. What does it mean to fight the fight against the flesh? You know what it means. But again, quickly, it means to regard God and react towards God as the holy God that he is. To obey his laws. Not just because Christians are supposed to act that way. I'm a Christian. I'm born into a Christian home and this is the way I'm supposed to act. No, but because his law is just and good. Like the giver of the law is good. The psalmist in Psalm 19, you will remember, says, "...the law of the Lord is perfect." reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. So, first of all, the precondition for the answer that we are to give is that in our hearts we set apart Christ as Lord. We have to do this in our hearts. In other words, we're to guard our hearts. Above all things, guard your heart, for from it is the wellspring of life. We're to look to our heart and in prayer daily ask the Lord to hold that heart, to, that we help to consecrate that heart and that we would live for Him and live for Him alone. That we would not look to outward appearance that we would not succumb to the Southern Californian temptation to look to the outer parents, that we would remember what we learned from 1 Samuel in the 16th chapter. You remember the scenario there. Samuel was discouraged because of all that had happened from the man who showed such great promise, King Saul, but then which showed that he was not a man of integrity. He was not a man who loved the precepts of the Lord and saw them as right, giving joy to the heart. And then when Saul Samuel rather, was sent to Bethlehem for that one which the Lord would raise up the man, whose heart was after the Lord's own heart, Samuel goes to Bethlehem and, in accordance with the Lord's direction, finds the household of Jesse. And the first one that he sees, there is Eliab. And what does Eliab look like? What kind of a figure is he? Again, he's an impressive figure. He's tall, he's striking. And the Lord says very clearly to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance. Do not look at the appearance of Eliab. He is not the one I have chosen. Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, for I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks to the outer appearance, but the Lord looks to the heart. Above all, guard your hearts. Guard your heart." For from it is the wellspring of life. In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. That's the precondition of our answer. Now when you do that, two things are going to happen. One, our hearts will be delivered from fear. Our hearts will be delivered from fear. When we sanctify the Lord in our heart, we'll learn that there really is nothing to fear because we've learned that true and perfect fear, that holy fear, a godly fear, not a guilty fear, but a godly fear, which casts out all other fear because it's based on God's perfect love. If we fear God, children, if we fear God, we have nothing else to fear. There will be assurance that all is safe. Isaiah 8, the 12th chapter, is the verse that serves as the context for our verse in First Peter uh, three verses 13 and on. There, in Isaiah 8 verse 12, we read in God's word, "Do not call conspiracy, everything of these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread, and He will be a sanctuary. Isn't that beautiful? And he will be a sanctuary. When I am afraid, writes David in the 56th Psalm, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. Of course, Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 27, the first verse, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom Shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The forty sixth Psalm, the first three verses. God is our refuge and strength, an ever present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. And then we must then regard the Lord as holy. And when we do, he will guard our hearts and deliver us from all fear. That's the first result, that our hearts will be uh, delivered from fear. The second result, which is critical, so that we would be ready, always be prepared to give this answer, is that when we sanctify Christ in our hearts, he will keep us from sinful pride. He will keep us from that sin, which would keep us from ever having opportunity to share our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a quote there. You have it copied in your booklets. And I'm going to read this quote that came across uh, in a book written by, well, actually, it's a uh, compilation of speeches given by Dr. Machen. And the historical occasion of this speech and the quotes taken from the speech was that Dr. Machen was invited to speak on the topic of reconciliation between Jews and non-Jews. And it's really an amazing uh, speech that he gave. And I'll read, you can follow along with me in your booklet there, this quote about the Christian heart and the heart of the Christian faith. Writes Machen, Christianity is the religion of a broken heart. A man who has never been under the conviction of sin, not the sins of other people, but his own sin, can never even begin to understand what the Christian man feels. At the very center of Christianity is the cry, Woe is me, and woe to a lost and sinful world. That is the heart of Christianity, but it is not the end of Christianity. It is the beginning. For the darkness has been lightened by the radiance of God's light, It has been lightened by the coming of our Lord. We were under God's just wrath and curse. The Lord Jesus took upon himself the curse and set us free. But how pitiful are my words. I despair of letting you see how we Christians feel that Christ died for us upon the cross and made all well between us and the holy God. What a mystery it is. And yet how simple to the man who believes. The Lord Jesus died for our sins and rose again for our justification. And the narration of that happening constitutes the gospel, the good news, which puts a new face on life. Without the gospel, the world is dark. But when the gospel comes into a man's heart, then for him, despite the blackness of his former despair, there is only light. Light and yet more glorious light. You see how there's no room for pride. But as we fight this good fight, we must remember that it's so easy to fall victim to this sin. When we set apart Christ Jesus as Lord in our hearts, He will deliver us from fear and also He will deliver our hearts from the sin of pride. And when that happens, and to the degree that it happens more and more every day, then you know what I say to everyone here tonight, get ready. Get ready because you've done what you need to do to be prepared. You have established that precondition, which is in our text the precondition for the answer that you are to give. In your hearts, set a Christ, Christ Jesus as Lord. And the scripture says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So there's a precondition, there's also the content of. Of our answer, What is the content of the answer that we are to give? When they ask, what should we focus on? Well, in a word, it is, it is hope. A reason for the hope that we have. The Christian has hope. It is a hope that the world does not have. It's the hope that the world does not know. The world is desperately looking and striving for this hope, but the Christian alone has it. It's a living hope. The Bible calls it elsewhere. It's a sure hope. It's not a hope so, I think so, I don't know, but I hope so. I hope this happens, I hope that doesn't. So the world chases after these things. But the Christian bases his hope on the one whose promises are sure, who knows our needs, and who promises that he will withhold no good thing from those who love him. He who did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, all, how is it that he will not graciously with Christ Give us all things. We have a living hope, not a dead hope. We have a sure hope, not an uncertain hope. And Peter starts this book making reference to this hope. You remember the third verse of 1 Peter, the first chapter? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance which can never perish or spoil or fade, but rather which is kept in heaven for you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the resurrection of Christ Jesus, He has given us this living hope. It is in Christ's resurrection. Christ said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. We'll talk about that more in the days to come. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? As Christ is the great object of our faith. Who he is and what he did, that's the object of our faith. So his resurrection is the great object of our hope. So a Christian's hope, and this is in your outline, is one that is well grounded upon the promise of God, upon the purchase of Jesus Christ, and upon the presence of the Holy Spirit who first enables us to believe and then grow in grace. Now, it's our duty. It is our Christian duty to always be, get ready to give a reason for the hope because God's glory deserves it and other people's good requires it. The hope of the Christian, John Piper, in his book Let the Nations Be Glad, writes about, he talks about this hope. The quote is there in your booklets. He writes this, Peter talks about the visibility of this hope. Why should people ask about hope? What kind of life are we to live that would make people wonder about our hope? If our hope in the future was secured the way the world secures its future, no one would ask us about it. There would be no unusual hope to see. What Peter is saying is that the world should see a different hope in the lives of Christians. Not a hope in the security of money, or the security of power, or the security of houses, or lands, or portfolios, but the security of the grace that is coming to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, he concludes, it is at times that God ordains suffering for us to help us release our hold on worldly hopes and to put our hope in God and in Him alone. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, and we see a correlation here between the hope and speaking up, the hope and confidence which expresses itself to the world of unbelievers. He writes, verse 41, May your unfailing love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I will answer the one who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Do not snatch the word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will speak your statutes before kings, and I will not be put to shame. Isn't that beautiful? The precondition for our answer is that we are to set apart Christ in our hearts as Lord. The content of our answer is the hope that we have based on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of the promises that he guarantees for us but also the tone of our answer. There is a warning there uh, that we find at the end of the 15th verse of 1 Peter chapter, chapter 3. The scripture says, but do this with gentleness and respect. With gentleness and respect. Defend the truth, friends, with all possible gentleness and reverence and kindness and respect, lest while you are doing it you should forget the honor and the glory of him whose cause you support kindness is a language which which the deaf can hear and the blind can see and we need to grow and become a a kind people in our daily dealings with one another and with those also who are hostile to Christ and hostile to to Christ's people yes it's true there the questions might be put to you the question that you would be asked might be put to you in a spirit of animosity it has happened. It's probably happened to you. It has happened to me. It have, has happened to members throughout our churches. It might be in a taunting or insulting manner. It might come to your children this way. Nevertheless, we are to show the pattern of kindness and we need to teach our children also to be kind and to pray for those that persecute you, even if this would be, be the case, whether they do so as an open challenge to the integrity of God in His Word or just as a natural response To the things that we are sharing, we must not answer in an angry manner or spirit, but a calm and gentle way whereby we can just state the reasons for the hope that we have and leave the matter there. Because everything is really in the Lord's care, is it not? According to his sovereign spirit and his working in their hearts. And this is one of the freeing aspects of our witness as, as a corporate body, as a church or as families or individually one of the wonderful and free notions for me as a missionary is that I know that I'm, not responsible, I, that I'm not responsible for the outcome, but I am rather only called to give a reason for the hope that I have and leave the results in the Lord's hands. Therefore, we are never to be arrogant. We're not to be defensive as we give the reason for the hope that we have. Our hope is born in humility, and we are Christ's servants. Our defense of that hope is pursued in service to the Lord and is required of the Lord's servant that he not quarrel, the scripture teaches. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, and not resentful. So let's remember this week, kind of as a ground for all that we do and say, all that we learn and all that we commit to as we go home to our various homes. Let's remember the precondition for our answer that we would set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. The content of our answer is Christ himself and the tone, the tenor of the answer that we would give, that it be with gentleness and respect in all occasions and in all instances. But also, let's look for new opportunities more and more each and every day. We need to get better at sharing our faith. And I know that you do because you have sent me to be your missionary, your evangelist. One who is called to the ministry of the word. But I know my own failings. And I know my own shortcomings. Yet too bogged down with the details, the running back and forth, the ministry as it is instead of the reason for the ministry. And I have this tendency, if I'm not careful, to fall into the sinful pattern of not looking for opportunities daily in season and out of season, in the pulpit but out of the pulpit too, when I'm in the streets, when I'm in stores, at any opportunity and on any occasion, to look for those opportunities and then to give a reason for that hope. I can fall victim to trying to get things done and I suggest, I suspect that you can too. When I am about my daily routine, I often think that I have so much time and I want to get in and I want to get out. And such was the case one day. I crossed the border and I had a list of things to do. My wife sent me to Costco. And I like Costco. You can get things in bulk. We need to buy things in bulk just for the family, let alone for the groups to come down. Get them in bulk at a great price. But one of the things you usually can't do at Costco is get in quickly and get out quickly. And the Lord had just been working on my heart that week. The fact that I often pay attention to things like lines, but I don't pay attention to the people in those lines. So I'll look for the shortest line. I'll count the people in lines. I'll look for the articles that are in their baskets. I, I'll try and figure out if these people are check writers, if they're, ca- or, or, or if they're cash spenders. And, and I will avoid the lines that look longer and I'll go to those lines that I perceive will go shorter. And typically what happens? God dealing with me, the, that line will close, the tape in the, in the cash register will run out, Something like that, just so the Lord can just, you know, tweak me and remind me that I don't have my priorities, typically, in order. It's not just to get the job done in terms of time, but it's to remember the reason I'm there. Well, such was the occasion in Costco this day, when, uh, when I, I looked at this line, and sure enough, it was going to be a slow one. I said, oh, great, to myself, but then God graciously checked my spirit. He checked me by his spirit. No, David, don't fall victim to this again. Don't pay attention to the line. Pay attention to the people in the line, like that man right in front of you. And he had in his hands just one item that was encouraging to me. It was, it was one of the cakes from Costco bakery. It was frankly a delicious looking cake. It was big, it was double-decker, and it was luscious double chocolate. And so I said to him to start up a conversation because I was looking for a way. I said a quick silent prayer to get to talk to him and perhaps turn the conversation towards Christ. And I said, that looks delicious. And he said, yes. He says to me, look, looked at me with a twinkle in his eye. This, I'm buying this because we are going to serve it to those who come to our Bible study in our home this evening. So I was grateful that I was going to have fellowship. And this opportunity, the Lord said, no, not witness, but fellowship. But I, but I said, oh, well, in that case, uh, there are going to be two times of refreshments. And he looked at me, I'm sorry, two times refreshment? Yes, you'll have, give refreshment from the word of life, from the bread of life. And then you will give refreshment afterwards with this great looking cake. And he smiled and laughed and acknowledged. He said, you're a Christian. And I said, yes, I am. And we exchanged names. His name was Roger. My name was Dave. And we're talking a bit. The line, the line, the line was moving slow. Just in case you didn't Dave Thiebaud was looking at me. Just in case you didn't know. The line's moving slowly. And he said, tell me, Dave, about how it is that you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I won't tell you the whole story, at least the long version tonight, but uh, the, the, the end of it was that in Bethlehem, not the same Bethlehem that we were looking at earlier, but in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, on December 1st, 1975, when I had come to my wit's end, because for years I had been resisting him who is irresistible, I got up and I turned off the TV. Billy Graham had been on TV and I just very quietly, I was alone in the big old house, Turned off the TV, went to my bedroom, closed the door, fell on my knees, and I said a prayer wherein I did not know really how to pray. I said, Lord, forgive me, and Lord, save me. And I said to Roger in line, you know what he did? He forgave me, and he saved me. Now, this fellow Roger was really kind of an engaging kind of guy, and we were talking back and forth the whole time until I was telling this story. He grew strangely quiet. And he said, Dave, when did that happen? In 1975. Yeah, but when? December. Where? In Pennsylvania, and he said, "Never in my 25 years of Christian life," he said. Now, those of you can do quickly the math: uh, 27 years of Christian life, he said. Have I had an experience such as this? Realize that the same that the same year, he said, in November, late November of 1975, not in Pennsylvania but in Oregon, I was watching TV in my dorm room in college and Billy Graham crusade was on and I turned off the television and I repented and I gave my life to Christ so we were just kind of dumbfounded and and, and awestruck uh, by the Lord's goodness and and I said to him and here we are 27 years later he knew then that we would meet today did he not? he said yes we did is this marvelous but here's the end of the story the man in front of us I'm telling you this was a slow line (laughs) I always pick him The man in front of us was listening to the story. And we did not even notice him. But he noticed us. And he said, I just bought a Bible for the first time in my life. So Roger and I kind of turned and looked at him. You know, I don't know if he was holding me back or I was holding him back. But I said to him, you did the right thing. Search the Scriptures. Read your Bible. Pray that the Lord would give you eyes so that you can see. Because in the Scriptures... He has for you the plan of salvation. And I said to him, what is your name? He said, Roger. He didn't hear the further. The other guy's name was Roger too. So he laughed. I said, I ask you because we will pray for you. And, uh, and he said, thank you. I appreciate that. As we left to uh, put our items in, in the uh, cars, Roger just had the one cake. I had this big cart full of stuff. The lady behind me was mad because I had so many things to buy. Um, he, we said that we had to huddle up and we had to pray that the Lord would... Be pleased to open up Roger's heart. But I, I say this to share. And, and to the back, remember the context. Uh, when I went in, I was thinking of all the things I had to do and I was going to fall victim to this trap again. But then the Lord had other plans. And I put before us, not only this evening, but this week, that we do those same things. That we are not occasionally, not at times, not most of the time, but always prepared to give a reason to anyone who would ask us to give a defense. The word actually is A reason for the hope that we have. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we prepare to give an answer to anyone who asks us to give a reason for this hope, we thank you for your faithful, steadfast love for us. For the fact that you have prepared for us a banqueting table, even where we can sit down to eat and feast in the presence of our enemies. That You have gone to the Father to prepare a dwelling for us where we would live with You in perfect glory forever. We repent of the fact that so often we overlook those opportunities that you do send our way to give glory to you, to those who do still not know you as Lord and Savior in our daily walk, in our daily lives. Father, we ask that you would help us be more attuned to their desperate need, even a need they don't recognize or acknowledge. And make us confident and bold and ready. Help us, Lord, to sanctify in our hearts Christ as Lord. And then to be prepared to give that answer and to do so with gentleness and with respect. And we will give you all the glory for this is your work in us. In the name of our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.